Hello, it's Friday the 14th of August and thank you for listening. We're going to try something different with this episode today and that is you're going to hear the interviews from start to finish. No pauses, no editing, so that you can get to hear what our guests say in their rawest, most purest form. The question that we're trying to get to the bottom of in this podcast is how do American voters actually feel today about their country, about their political system and of course about the upcoming election. We've talked a lot recently about the history of American politics generational trends in voting, geographical patterns, and of the infrastructure of the electoral system itself. But at the end of the day, elections boil down to one question that's answered during just a couple of minutes spent at a polling station. And after months of different narratives, debates, and hours of media coverage, it's actually quite an emotive choice. It's a good feeling for many, and one that's determined by very human emotions of fear, of hope, of desperation, or of real joy for the future. To help us get an understanding for how America feels, I'm going to be speaking to Robert Griffin, who is the research director at Democracy Fund Voter Study Group, which is a group of analysts and scholars examining and delivering insights on the evolving views of American voters, something which I'm really excited to learn about, to see what is determining voters' opinions today, how America feels about the pandemic, the economy, the identity of the country and of themselves. But before that, it's now time to interview Rebecca Pinn, who is the Secretary of Young Democrats of America. It's 1pm UK time, coming up to 8am for Rebecca across the Atlantic in the United States. Let's go. Hi. Hi, how are you? Good, sorry about all the technical stuff. (laughs) It's alright, I don't know what happened there. Okay, so uh, just ask you a few questions first about Young Democrats of America and then move on to the election, if that's alright. Sure. Hopefully I know the answer. (laughs) All right. Uh, First of all, could you actually just describe the role of Young Democrats of America and the organization's main aims? Sure. So we are the uh, youth branch of the uh, Democratic National Party. So the way that we're structured is we have different states and territories all over the country. And though for those states and territories, they are also the official youth branch. So, for example, I'm from Massachusetts. So the Young Democrats of Massachusetts are the official youth branch of the Democrat, uh, Massachusetts Democratic Party. Um, and our aim is to elect, uh, elect Democrats. So that's really what we're focused on, and it's focused on getting them, electing Democrats, you know, across the country, whether it's in red states, purple states, or blue states. Is it that focus on getting Democrats elected, is that focused on turning out certain voters or actually persuading voters? So it's a it's a combination. It depends on where we are in the campaign. So a lot of what we focus on is very much around, obviously, youth engagement and the mm-hmm. youth vote. So it's making sure young people are not only registered, they they registered to vote, they're registered, you know, hopefully registered as Democrats and also getting out the vote, uh, persuading them to vote for Democrats. So it's depending on where we are in the campaign cycle, that will change what our focus is. In terms we of- We do a lot of work around, um, sorry, we do a lot of work mm. around making sure people are registered and obviously like uh, ensuring they're enfranchised. At this stage in the campaign, are you noticing a higher registration than normal? Are things better or worse? So- what I've been noticing is, um, especially from young people, an excitement around not just the top of the ticket, but the same excitement I felt in 2008, where we saw that we realized we could flip the Senate. Mm-hmm. So um, this this idea of not just winning the top of the ticket, but all those down ballot seats of what, making sure that not only we're getting the White House, but we're also getting the Senate and uh, 
keeping the house of reps. What What do you think works best in persuading young people to vote, either turn out or to vote Democrat? Is it issues? Is it a certain candidate like Joe Biden this time or those lower down the ticket in the Senate? What is the kind of balance between issues and candidate? So I think it's always, and this is me personally, so I can't speak for young Democrats on this. I think it's, you know, one of the most, the most effective way of, of persuasion is obviously canvassing. And the reason why is because it's on a very personal level. It's me going out, volunteering my time, seeing someone face to face saying, this is why I'm endorsing this person. This is why I'm here spending my time with them. Um, so I always ask people when I canvass, what are the things that matter to you? What are you focused on? And then I talk about, here's how this candidate is really helping with that issue. So to me, it's a combination of first, it's thinking about the issues that people care about and then how that person is doing it. And it's always, to me, really important to show that you're enthusiastic, you really care, you're excited. I I think what's really fascinating about this election in particular is um, there's a phrase in American politics that... Uh, Republicans or Democrats fall in love, Republicans fall in line. So Democrats really need to love the candidate to vote mm-hmm. for them. And for Republicans, they're like, I'm just voting R all the way down. And uh, this is one of the rare elections. I think this is very flipped. And I'm not saying that Democrats are just blindly voting down the line, but I think people realize how much is stake, how um, the direction that the Republican Party has taken this country is scary and horrifying that. I think a lot of Democrats are not only saying we need great people in office, but they're um, uh, really, fo- really focused on that. And I think that's shown through the primary races. So for Democrat enthusiasm, a lot of that's come out in, in a lot of these really high profile primary races, getting people excited. Um, I realize I'm not sure I answered your question. No. But <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was looking at some of the primaries over the last few weeks and you had real progressive uh, candidates winning them. Do you think there is a kind of tension, though, between Joe Biden, uh, Pelosi, Schumer at the top of the party, can the old guard and the progressives coming through? Do you think that might play a role in this election? I don't think there's a tension. I think it's the natural mm. progression of politics. Yeah. And I, I it, to me, it's really exciting because I remember in 2012, the big concern was, or not 2012, 2016, people saying Democrats don't have a bench. Democrats don't have a bench. They don't have this lineup of people who are ready to take on the mantle. And what I'm seeing is with all these uh, really great progressive challengers is one, really driving up youth excitement, really driving enthusiasm in the party, but also showing we do have a bench. We do have great people, um, you know, from AOC in her late twenties to people in their thirties and forties really coming up that, and I think that tension always, and so coming up, which is exciting. And I think, this idea of a tension between more moderates in the party and progressives, we're a big 10 party. We welcome, you know, we have a platform that's fairly, I think, progressive and we welcome a lot of people and that, that tension exists regardless of age. Um, but that's, that's the nature of being a big 10 party. Would you say that the progressive side of the party, maybe even the left side of the party is winning or losing that kind of intra-party division? Because there was a tweet from Sanders uh, campaign press secretary that she said, Kamala Harris was uh, a, a top cop and was criticising the selection of her as VP. Do you think there's a problem that, you know, it could be a repeat of 2016, Sanders voters not coming out for the Democrats when it really matters? I don't think that repeat will happen again. And I'm mm. trying the best way to phrase why I don't think that will happen. 
in the most appropriate way possible. I don't think that, (laughs) I don't think that will happen again. I think the dynamics of this election are very different. I think, um, it's hard for me to say, I think we're comparing like the, how do I phrase this? Um, for better or worse, Hillary Clinton was a very polarizing candidate. Mm. She was, she was, you know, I was really excited to vote for her, but I know a lot of people were not excited. And there were also a lot of people who refused. Um, Joe Biden's a very, very different candidate. And then Kamala Harris is a very different candidate. Um, a lot of the people who, you know, I, I live in a deep blue state, but I know a lot of people who from young Democrats who live in much purpler states and redder states. And Joe Biden does not he's a very different candidate from Hillary and who he attracts and who likes him in terms of, you know, the criticism of Paula Harris. I, um, I get very defensive of when women are running in, you know, really high profile roles and they're immediately Mm -hmm. called out for lots and lots of criticism. She's, I remember when she ran and won her Senate race in 2016 and I was, um, I was very depressed from Trump winning. And then I saw one of her speeches when she won and it was, incredibly exciting it was amazing and she's been she's been very progressive in the senate so i think those concerns are unfounded but i also think the dynamics of this race are very different than 2016 is the difference primarily down to people having watched trump for the last four years is it turned into a referendum on essentially his presidency i think that's a huge part of it i think just seeing how democracy is very precious and it needs to be taken care of. And I think seeing how, um, how just the horrific direction that people want to take this country, the Republicans want to take this country. I think that's part of it. And again, I also think Joe Biden, Kamala Harris ticket is very, very different than the Hillary Kane ticket. And it's, um, it's a very different excitement. I think, sorry, my cat is, <laughs> jumping up. Um, it's it's just a really different race. And I, I yes, I do agree that like um there were people who voted for Trump as I believe people voted for Trump in 2016 as Hail Mary. Politics didn't work for me. I'm just gonna try this reality TV star that I saw, having no idea that he was an incredibly failed businessman, terrible person, whatever it may be. I'm originally from New York, so I have very strong feelings on that. Um this race is really different because um Joe Biden has not had a 30-year smear campaign against him. He's a very well-liked and beloved politician. Kamala Harris has been, you know, a fantastic senator from California. It's just a really different race from, like, a not only voting against, it's not only who am I voting against, but also who am I voting for. That's quite interesting because I was interviewing a Democratic voter last week who said this is all about um, trying to get back to a bit of normality going almost it wasn't as if this was a change election going forward but it was kind of just get back to normality reset the clock and start again you seem to be a bit more excited about the future I am first of all I mean I totally agree with that person the last Mm. three and a half four years have been so emotionally and mentally exhausting for people I I remember this blissful time where I didn't know every member of the cabinet like (laughs) this time when I didn't you know Maybe I should have, and maybe that's my own fault. Like, I didn't know who the, the department, um, the head of the Department of Education was. I didn't, you know, now I know, like, every every person, and it's it's so exhausting and consuming. I know my parents are, like, addicted to watching the news. So they're, yes, how do we get back to, oh, sorry, you, oh, sorry, you're there. It's like, how do we get back to a sense of normalcy? The reason I'm excited is because um, it's not just about him, it's not just about Joe and Kamala winning, 
It's about all the down ballot folks they're bringing with them who have this energy and excitement of what they're going to bring to the table that they're going to pass the changes that they want to make. And, um, that's what to me is really exciting. Like us taking this, you know, to me, the white house is important, obviously for general direction, for tone, um, for, um, Supreme court justices, we need the house and Senate to pass things. So I think mm-hmm. a lot of my enthusiasm, partly it's just, I think I'm a very loud talker, but partly it's because I'm, <laughs> I'm excited to, you know, as we, if we have this, you know, another blue wave, um, all the things that, people are interested, you know, I'm from Massachusetts. So Ed Markey's my Senator, like let's pass the green new deal, mm. you know, let's get all, you know, let's make some real changes and like, let's take, um, you know, everyone said this in during the de- uh, democratic debates, but like, how are we going to take healthcare, make healthcare more universal, more accessible, all those kinds of things. Do you think that, um, cause if you could have unity in the Senate with a democratic majority president as well, do you think that the effect of polarization on Capitol Hill and in Washington could be reduced by that? Or do, do you kind of feel as though, because a lot of people seem to say America is so polarised, trying to unify the country won't be possible, even if Joe Biden wins and even if the Democrats take the House and there's majority on Capitol Hill? I don't necessarily know... Sorry, my cat. <laughs> if, I, okay, so I'm, I'm not... I don't know. I'm not a pollster. I don't have the details. I don't think at the end of the day... Um, this country is as polarized as people say. I do think there are very polarizing Mm. views. I think most people are not as, um, they don't have the time to be as invested in politics as say I am. They have a lot of other things to worry about. And I've talked about this about really crowded Senate races or sorry, like primaries, crowded uh, house races. Um, Most people really want to, you know, live their life, a good life, know that the government has them when they need them. Um, and I think, you know, it's sort of like the Twitter effect where it's the extremes or the loudest voices. Mm. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because those loudest voices are putting forward new ideas for people to think about and consider. But I think for most people, they're, they're trying to get by. And, um, you know, I, I think, I think there's like, when people say this country is polarized, they make it sound like there's a, there's a hundred people in this country and 50 are on one side of the room and 50 are on the other. And that's it. And I think it's much more complex. It's much more mingled. You know, it's a very different, um, you know, on a personal level, like, you know, how you're interacting with your neighbor, how you're interacting with your coworkers. It's, it's, I think a much more personal dynamic. And um, I think it's really easy to play the narrative of we're super polarized, but I think what people want in this country, obviously not everyone, but a majority want good things to happen they want good things for their neighbor they want good things for their friends and family and and all that good stuff how would you say donald trump and his presidency has changed the democratic party since 2016 has it energized certain elements has it made you into a slightly different political party i think it's made a lot i think from for a lot of democrats it's made I think it's made a lot of people, I don't even know if it's just Democrats, I think it's made a lot of people aware of how, um, of a very horrific side of this country, mm. which I know is a very, you know, it's very common. I think for Democrats, it's made us realize that we, we can't, we, we really need to step up, that there's, there's a lot we're fighting against. Um, I know for a lot of young people, it's, it's seeing that there's a status quo that was existing that's not okay. I think, um, and I, I think for, I'm trying to find this, 
what's happened is it's shown this really terrible side of this country and it's made people realize it's not okay. They need to step up and they're turning to the democratic party to say, how are we going to fix this? Because the Republicans are not going to fix this. And so the democratic party is realizing they have this responsibility of we're now seeing all these horrific things um, ranging from, you know, things we already knew existed, but just, you know, whether it's police shootings, whether it's, you know, systemic racism and huge income inequality, the Republican Party is not going to fix that. The Democratic parties, you know, people are looking to them to solve it. And that's the hole that they need to, you know, that's the, the mm. role that they play. In terms of the uh, young vote, when you look at some of the polls in 2002, the Democrats won 49% of the young vote, 18 to 29, Republicans 47%. So there wasn't really much divergence there. In 2018, in the uh, midterms, 67% of that same young group voted for Democrats. Why do you think there's been such a split divergence between the Democrats and Republicans when it comes to young vote? Um, I mean, the Democratic Party has always been a party of of younger people. And Mm. I think, not to be uh, silly, but I think the young Democrats, like young Republicans, I think their age limit is like in the 40s. (laughs) It's just the nature of like, I think it's just the nature of, of politics. I think what's been really interesting is seeing me like I have never seen such activism and engagement from young people. Like I think about when I was in high school, when I was, you know, I always understood politics. I always want, I was, you know, a nerd who was excited to vote and I, I followed things to a certain level, but you know, I was not, you know, young people are organizing March for our lives. Like they're leading, you know, the gun control movement. Um, there there's, you know, they're leading a sunrise movement. They're leading all these movements that I don't believe that, um, I've never seen anything like it. And it's incredibly exciting as a, I'm like an uber millennial. So for me as a millennial to see Gen Z really that kind of engagement, that's incredibly Mm -hmm. exciting. And them also driving, you know, to me, it's very exciting. I'm not being very eloquent right now, but. (laughs) Would you say the change has been that young people have suddenly tuned in to such a greater extent than before? And would you say that's down to the issues? It's, does it feel like it matters more now? I think it, one, matters more, but two, you can engage more. Yeah. Like, I feel like politics for a long time, politics is a very weird game to get involved in. It's a very, especially American politics, and the role of, for better or worse, the role of social media, the role of how you can organize, like, young, the ability for young people to organize is is huge. Like, the the way that, like, you people use... Uh, are using Facebook groups to get together, able to to find like-minded people from across the country. I think that, you know, a lot of what politics is, it's about relationships, it's about knowing people, and that's why it obviously takes a long time to build that. But for, I think, young people, the reason they're able to get more engaged is they're able to connect way more quickly, they're able to organize faster. Um, and that's, that, I think that's been part of the driver. And I, and it also the, um, we're in a time now with obviously the 24-hour news cycle, but you're, you're, you know, I imagine if you're 16, 17 in history class, learning about horrific things that have happened in the past, and all of a sudden you come home and see these horrific things happening in the present, it's hard not to be like, I I don't want to stand by on the sidelines, I want to get involved. Mm. Do you think that, because um, a lot of things that as you get older, turn more conservative, you end up shifting a bit further along to the Republican side of things. Do you think that that is a long-term process, a trend that's always going to happen in politics and part of it is inevitable? Or do you think you can really keep on hold of the young voters that are coming through now? I actually think it's, I think people have this notion that people get more conservatives when they get older. And Mm. I, I actually think that's not what's happening. I think it's that 
for the Democratic Party, the goalposts of what progress means move. And so because those goalposts are moving, you know, so if, you know, people are here and the goalpost keeps moving, it looks like you're getting more conservative, but actually it's just the goalpost is moving and it might just take you some time to, to move with it. So young people are already clamoring to that new goalpost of what mm. does progress mean? So I, I don't necessarily believe it's that people get more conservative as they get older for whatever reason. I think it's that what we deem as progressive or what we say is the new, the new um, issues we need to talk about, those are evolving and changing. And it just takes, you know, it takes some time for people to get used to and to think about it. It's something different and new. Um, so I, I, that's sort of where my head goes when people talk about people getting conservative, they're getting older. I don't necessarily believe that. I look at obviously a huge anecdotal bias of like my own parents. I wouldn't exactly, you know, they're <laughs> moving with the times too, but you know, even my involvement in the democratic party, it's people are, you know, they'll be very blunt and say, you know, this is new to me. I'm still trying to understand. I'm still trying to understand this issue. Um, and I think, you know, as young people, we need to give the patient, we need to both educate some, you know, some older voters, but also, or whether they're in the party or not, but also have that patience to make sure that everyone is moving with those goalposts. And then uh, just finally, uh, what race, what state, either presidential or in the Senate, are you most excited about the Democrats taking this November? Oh, I want Collins out of the Senate. So I live okay. in Massachusetts, so I plan on whatever I can do to help Maine. I want Collins gone. Her Kavanaugh vote was disgraceful. She does not. Maine is a very interesting um, state when it comes to politics. It's very independent. Like, mm. that's the way I describe it. Um, I want Collins gone. I want her out of the, I mean, it's, you know, how do you pick which horrible person you want to get out of the Senate? <laughs> like, you know, I want, um, you know, I want, I, there's so many people I want, but like, I guess it's because I live in Massachusetts and Maine is right there. I want yeah. Collins gone. Okay. But yeah, I, of course they'd take Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham out too. Like that's. <laughs> how, so. Are you confident of them succeeding in Maine? Do you think? Oh, that can yeah. Happen. I think that, yeah. I think Collins will be gone. I think, I think because she has always played herself as a very independent Republican. And I think voters have seen in very high profile, in very high profile ways, she is not independent. She very much steps in line. Um, and she, she's, yeah, I think has lost voters. So um, excited to see her get booted out. <laughs> I know I said that. Along, with, along question, with a lot of other people. <laughs> that was quite interesting so. what you said there about her being, uh, people preferring candidates that seem a bit more independent from the party line. Specifically that... in Maine. Maine yeah. is a very unique state. Mm. They're, they're, um, so the southern part of Maine is much more progressive. The northern part is much more conservative, but it's a very, um, I'm trying to, it's, it's I think, a, a state that views itself as very independently minded. It's, okay. it's hard for, like, I wouldn't say a Republican or Democratic state. It's just a very independent minded state versus like Massachusetts is a very blue state. Yeah. So. Okay. That was really interesting. Thank you very much. Uh, Really appreciate it. Hopefully, I don't sound like an idiot on this. No, stuff. that was good. Thank you. <laughs> Great. Right, Thanks right. so much. Cheers. Thank you very much. See you. Bye. Rebecca Pinn there from Young Democrats of America. And I think it's worth highlighting just two quick things from our interview. First of all, Rebecca really challenged the view that we've been talking about on previous episodes, that being the fatigue effect, the fact that people are so tired of Trump, they're now prepared to vote for Biden. Now, as she mentioned how politics has become something so many people of all ages are tuning into and how many are voting out of a realisation for what Trump has revealed, she described as the negative side of America, Rebecca delivered a far more energetic and enthusiastic case for voting for the Democratic Party. That was all the way down the ticket from Joe Biden at the top to the Senate race below. 
And that view brings us on to my second point, really. And I think Rebecca represented the view of someone who is a Democratic voter on the more progressive side of the party. And that's perhaps where Joe Biden's election campaign is working so far. Whilst he's appealing to some, particularly those who voted for Trump in 2016, through that theme of Trump fatigue and the want for normality, he's also successfully appealing to younger, more progressive Democrats and engaging with them on really important issues. And it seems from speaking to Rebecca that it's a desire to solve those issues, those problems that is motivating younger voters this election. What seems to be going on is that on the top of the surface, Biden is running quite a quiet and careful campaign ensuring he doesn't alienate, let's call them the, the swing fatigue voters. He's not wanted to alienate them through headline speeches on the campaign trail. But beneath the surface, through organisations like Young Democrats, a real progressive case is being made. In a way, Biden is just a figurehead, albeit a very important one, for a progressive movement going on within the Democratic Party. And this is a movement that had huge success in recent primaries and in the 2018 midterm elections. The significance of holding these two groups together cannot be understated. The divisions between Clinton and Sanders helped contribute to Hillary Clinton's defeat in 2016. And I think if Joe Biden can hold this coalition of voters together, then he really is in with a good chance of becoming president. And on that, Rebecca reflected the impact the nomination of Kamala Harris has had on this race, really resonating with the more progressive, perhaps younger side of the party, the side to this coalition that Biden needs to hold together. The question now, though, is will events allow him to hold this coalition of voters together, what we're going to call the swing fatigue voters and the progressive democratic younger voters? It's a very precarious balance. And is Biden at risk of stepping too far in one direction and perhaps alienating a particular group of his coalition? What issues can Trump fight back on? Where does his route to the White House sit within the wider context of America? Let's find out. It's time now to speak to Robert Griffin, who's the research director at Democracy Fund Voter Study Group. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed part one of this podcast episode. To listen to my interview with Robert Griffin, please check out part two. Thanks. Mm-hmm.